0: Hey, what are you doing, Kurt? I'm burning things. Okay. What are you burning? Uh, well, uh, at first I didn't have anything to burn, so I just went outside the castle and found things to burn. Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. Makes sense. And when I ran out of those things, I went and grabbed some stuff from your room and burned them. Like what from my room? I don't know. You know, that's not important, actually. Okay, that looks like a, a page from a book in the fireplace. Did you read it? Well, I'm not going to read it now. Come to think of it, there were a lot of Amazon boxes. Yeah, I I ordered some things to burn. Why didn't you just go get wood to burn? Why did you buy wood to burn? Ugh, that does make a lot more sense. Well, you know what? I ordered some things, and they're coming in this week from uh, uh, Amazon. I would appreciate if you did not burn those things. All right. So just put them in that corner of the room, and that'll be the no-burning corner. I feel like there should be a burning corner instead of several burning corners and a non-burning corner. That makes no sense whatsoever. Fine. We'll do everything your way, because that's what living's about. It's not about compromise. Not when—okay, uh, hold on a second. There were some really large Amazon boxes. What did you order? I got a kid's bed. I didn't know it was a kid's bed when I ordered it. Okay. Did you burn that? Yeah. So there's a partially burnt kid's bed somewhere in this castle? Yeah. Welcome back to the castle. This is the Ghost of Doctor podcast with your co-host Clint Roper and Kurt Roper. Today we're going to do things a little bit differently, and since this is like the fourth episode, that's almost meaningless. Um, So, initially we had an idea to talk about a specific topic. Do you remember what that topic was, Kurt? Yes. Okay. You wanted to talk about survival horror games. I did. And specifically, I wanted to talk about survival horror and then kind of feature Resident Evil. Because Resident Evil is had such a huge impact on me growing up, playing that game. It's as a kid in in the late '90s, it scared the shit out of me, in a way that polygons really shouldn't. Um, specifically, now that the gra- graphics are so outdated, but they remade the game. So that's 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 neither here nor there. That you can get a, a version that isn't just. Uh, accountable polygons like it was before. Yeah, it had an impact on me, too. That's because Mom just kept throwing it at me, though. Yeah. (laughs) Well, I mean, to be fair, you moved around a lot. Got a bob and weave. Got a bob and weave. Look, if you grew up with the parents that were willing to throw things at you and hit you, you know what? You're tougher for it. And I imagine that it hasn't affected you in the slightest. You live a normal life. Your relationships are perfect. They're perfect. Yeah, the only thing they never threw at us was love. <laughs> yeah, that's true. Uh, I guess this is a good point. Uh, I don't think we've ever out, outright said that we're brothers. We're brothers. Kurt is yeah. my brother. Yeah, I know the last name has really been tripping people. It off. has. Yeah. Uh, you probably thought that, that he was related to Mr. Roper from Three's Company and I was related to Roper from, you know, Ebert and Roper. And, uh, no, I'm sorry to tell you that, Mr. Roper is a fictional character, and I wish that Roper from Ebert and Roper was equally as fictional. Um, Okay, so we were going to talk about Resident Evil, but something interesting happened. While I was researching Resident Evil, I came across a nice little gem of a movie (laughs) called Sweet Home. And I said, so I did something we don't normally do is normally we say, hey, uh, I'm going to pick a topic, and then we're going to kind of do our stuff separate, research separate, we'll come together and talk about it and we won't really know what's going to happen. That's not what happened this time. Yeah. This time, me and him sat down and we watched uh we watched Sweet Home together. And there is so much to talk about and unpack about Sweet Home. But not just Sweet Home the movie. We're going to try to talk to you about Sweet Home the movie, but there's also a video game that uh it was made in in congress with the with the movie. So it feels really like a work. It really feels like teamwork, like the one hand knew what the other hand was doing, which is so rare when you, when you're talking about video games, it's not a video game adaption of a movie, nor is it a movie adaption of a video game. They were made at the same time and released at the same time to be, to, you know, to be released together. And so that's an interesting little thing. We'll talk a little bit, bit about that too. And then we're going to talk about. Sweet Home's connection to Resident Evil. And here's the thing. If you're, if you're already aware of Sweet Home's connection to Resident Evil, uh, I have some news for you. I probably disagree with your take on it. And we're going to talk about that too. So without further ado. We need to talk about Sweet Home, which we both sat down and watched. It currently, as of recording, is available on YouTube. I don't know if that's still the case, but I assume it will be because, I mean, what are the Japanese gonna do, right? Yeah, right? they're not gonna, they're not gonna take it down. I don't think anyone, I don't even know if the studio that made it still around it is. It is. It's a very famous studio, actually, I think. Yeah. It's the one with the water and the rocks. <laughs> it's just that, it's that one Japanese company. No, it's not. it's not the water and the rocks one. It's the one with the circle and the, in the and the sky and the the <laughs> spectrum of colors it's some sort of a shape with some sort of a nature yeah it's 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 very memorable in the way that it's not memorable at all yeah <laughs> uh, okay so let's talk a little bit about sweet home specifically let's talk about the plot okay in a nutshell how would you describe sweet home I would describe uh, sweet home as is plot light it's it's just enough plot to get you into a movie. Um, without all the, uh, weightiness of, of something that's terribly meaningful. Um, and, and it's not that there's not dramatic scenes and that they don't have any weight at all. I just think that it's, it's, it's a popcorn movie and, and kind of a, a roller coaster ride in a good way. You know, I, as Martin Scorsese would say, it's a bit of a roller coaster amusement park popcorn movie ride. And I don't much care for it. <laughs> Although you do care for I it. I care for it. But his, his, his brows, his heavy, heavy brows would, would furrow. Yes. Yeah. You know, it's funny because I think all of his movies are made as high brow to, uh, compensate for the sinking, his ever sinking brows, obscuring his vision. That's, that's terrible. You know what? We love, we love Martin Scorsese. Who doesn't? Yeah. Goodfellas is a classic, not, uh, germane to the, to, to the, to the subject at hand though. Um, not that that would stop us, but listen, this is, you're absolutely right. I think this is, uh, a more of a ride, um, you know, it's gonna, t- you, you buy a ticket, take a ride type of movie, a popcorn movie, escapism. But there's a lot, there's some heart there. And even though I think the plot can be a little bit, um, janky or a little, uh, a little unclear, the way things develop, I still think that you believe in the characters and you believe in the, uh, the catharsis. So, overall, we, we like this movie. I, I feel, okay, so, and you said there's not a whole lot of plot, but let's, let's talk about, like, the, we'll talk about just the first act, because we don't want to ruin the movie, because I want you to watch this movie. I don't care who you are. If you're a general horror movie lover, if you like foreign horror films, if you like 80s horror films, special effects driven horror films, uh, fun, campy, weird tonal, shifting, uh, horror films this is a movie for you yeah, this is a movie for almost every horror fan yeah you can kind of check all those boxes and yes it does have a disjointed feeling at times because of it but it's it is enjoyable i mean like we said it, it's a purely entertainment based uh action viewing this movie it's not going to change your life probably i can never really make that uh yeah it might, it might change your life i don't know you know you never know what will change your life You know what changed my life? What? Uh, uh, Folding my t-shirts with a board. Oh. Yeah. Yeah, I got a board and I started folding my t-shirts. And it just like because I was laying my t-shirts up uh, because I don't have a dresser drawer, I put them on a rack. Because I was like laying them on a rack and they all looked folded and uniformed. it just made me want to organize more and more stuff. And now uh, I feel an overwhelming need to organize everything, including podcasts. Speaking of board... Um, that's where I want to go. (laughs) Okay. Um, no, no, I understand. And, uh, you know, what changed my life was moving thousands and thousands of miles away, uh, to a castle. That's true. You know, what's funny is, uh, despite the fact that you're here, I feel, uh, unflinching loneliness grasping at my heart at all times. Yeah. That's cause we're family. That's cause we're family. Yeah. And this is a family movie. This is, uh, Sweet Home is a movie you can enjoy with your family, um, to throw back to the children's horror. It's very much in the vein of that. Uh, maybe a little harder hitting for sure than Poltergeist, because I've got to tell you, the, the death scenes are pretty gruesome. Yeah. And while you're on the subject of Poltergeist, I think it's important to talk about the, um, the DNA of, that's kind of there in this movie. It's a haunted house film. It's very much like, in terms of haunted house films, it definitely feels like a little bit like the formula of uh, the group shows up at the house. Things go awry. There's this, you know, all haunted house films are pretty much that same story. Um but, but beyond being a haunted house film, there's a lot of I see a lot of like I don't know if you want to say DNA from directors like Sam Raimi. Uh, Steven Spielberg and I would say Toby Hooper, but specifically I'm referencing Poltergeist, like you just did. Um, yeah. It has that feel to it. It has the tone, kind of of the, the kind of the feel. Uh, maybe one of the lighter Sam Raimi, e- like Evil Dead's uh, the second one, not Army of Darkness. Army Army of Darkness is full on Three Stooges slapstick. Yeah, I, I love it. It's more of a dark comedy than a horror. Movie. It is. And and I, I'm, I'm kind of fine with it. That's fair. Um, but you digress I do I do digress um what was I saying well I I was talking about how it is children hold friendly on. hold that thought and maybe I'll be able to remember it as I take a long cold swig of something with aspartame ah, that's got to help my memory oh yeah <laughs> okay um no so yeah sweet home children friendly little gory agreed Family, more of a good good, uh, fam- good, film to watch with the family. Yeah. Uh, maybe when the kids are a little bit older, yeah, ish Yeah. And you were talking about the DNA of it. You, you saw some some Toby right. Hooper, Spielbergian-type poltergeist in there. You saw a little Sam Raimi. I saw a little Sam Raimi. I think the Sam Raimi part comes from the – a lot of – there's some shots specifically that have that POV, uh, Dutch the Angle, Sam Raimi thing going. So, yeah. And I've seen some people – um, liken some of it, uh, some of the, the c- cinematic language to, um, Dario Argento or something like that. And I'd say, eh, at this point, by 1989, that's just, um, the language of film and just kind of a contribution that was made. Agreed, agreed. Um, okay, so we haven't gone too far into the plot, but before we, before we do, while we're on the subject of like, the language of film let's talk about real quick the special effects the special effects are probably for me what gives it a lot of the steven spielberg toby hooper a slight somewhat like both kind of whimsical but kind of terrifying feel to uh, the look of the ghost um and uh and i would also did you hear that it sounded like a mule braying i thought they cooked the last mule <laughs> that's the reason they told me i couldn't borrow one because and, and before you say, hey, that, that is terrible. You're talking about a, another culture here. And I don't really believe they actually cook donkeys. I will tell you this. If you get a couple of villages outside of this one, they think these people are weird. I thought it was just me. I thought it was my American sensibilities. Nope. They cook donkeys here. goddammit. it. Anyway, to, to, to kind of get back on topic. Um, so I established this is an effects movie. We established that it has that haunted house movie DNA. It has, it has that kind of feel to it. Yeah. And in it the language also, of film. In the language of film. It also is, in some respects, a Japanese ghost story. You know, it, it follows some of the rules of a Japanese ghost story, of some of the feel of a Japanese ghost story. Oh, okay. Yeah. But if you, do you mean by rules, you mean like there are no rules and fuck you? Cause that's the rules I know about <laughs> Japanese ghost stories. Okay. So yeah, this is some, this is an opinion you've held for some time. Would you like to get it off your chest? Yeah, I can do that real quick. Okay. Okay. So I love Japanese horror. I love Asian horror. Um, I love cursed movies. I love the ghost stories. Um, I like them, but, and this is probably, you were talking about American sensibilities. This is probably a, a Western sensibility. This is probably from a person that's, Seen how the sausages are made and kind of know the machinations of of a story. The sausages are made from donkey. Go ahead. Anyway, um, I think the lack of rules and just the, 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 the random stuff that happens in these ghost movies and curse movies, uh, they kind of some just, they just turn me off a little bit. Oh, it's like, okay, what we have to do is we have to stand inside this circle and we got to find this pendant and we got to chant and we got to throw this, this, uh, Paper charm on them. Oh, turns out none of that fucking matters because also you're just going to die because you know what? Why not? Yeah, that's fair. So like if you're not aware or if you haven't watched a lot of Japanese horror films, specifically like the ghost movies, the cursed films. uh, So what happens is like, okay, let's put it side by side in an American movie, right? You you go into the haunted house and you say, "Wow, what a lovely old house! We've decided to buy and restore. This is going to net us a fortune. This is fantastic. Look at this mansion." Um, and then then you know, over time, slowly, um, activity, paranormal activity starts to bubble to the surface, and and you know, it becomes this uh this uh kettle boiling over, and you know, it, it gets kind of uh, it, it really follows the what you would expect out of like um. A plot to, to to ramp up and hit a climax and then things are at their most dangerous and they escape at the end most of the time. And you know what? You left the house. Yeah, it turns out it wasn't the house at all. It turns out it was the doll and you had to burn it or it turns out it had to be exorcised. The point is there's there's rules and there's a way to defeat right the, the evil. Right, and once you do that, once you come to terms with the fact that you were not really paying attention when your kid uh, disappeared when you left him at the pool— and, you know, you, you relocate your kid, um, with the help of your neighbor from Cheers. Uh, once you do that, the problem's solved. And if you leave the move, if you can't solve the problem and you leave the house, the problem remains in the house. It's geographically centered. Well, that's not the case in Japanese, uh, ger- ghost movies and curse movies. Here's what happens. You step into a house. You hear something meow. It's not a cat. It's a kid. What the hell? Is he on the ceiling? Is he in your hair? Is he peeking out of the shadows? Is the TV on? Is the phone ring? Doesn't matter. You know what? Let's just leave. This shit is weird. And then you know what happens? It doesn't matter. You go home, you have a nice cup of tea, and you die anyway. You fucking die anyway. I thought this was my problem. <laughs> no, no. You're right. This is your rant, but it's true. The difference is Kurt, Kurt rants about it and he thinks that they should, it's too abstract. They don't set up the, the rules to be very clear and that's a kind of a problem for him. For me, that's what works about it. For me, it's it's the fact that you thought you knew what the hell the universe was. You thought you knew the rules. You thought you understood how to keep yourself safe from something, and then you you step just one step beyond the uh, the, the perimeter, one step into the outside of the zone of safety, into the unknown, and you pay the ultimate price for it. And there's just no saving you. Everything you thought you knew is not true, and you can't protect yourself. You're not safe. It's just not possible. It's, that yeah. yields a different type of experience in horror for a movie. So if, that's what I would See, that's not my problem. Like, my problem is that they set up things. They're set up, it's set up to be a specific way sometimes, and then that's subverted. And I understand that subversion can be a good thing and is a good thing. Um, especially when you're treading the same ground. But what I would say is that subversion for subversion's sake or because it just kind of is the way it's done, it kind of creates something that isn't subversive. And for me, it's not the they. you pay the ultimate price. To me, it's you pay the ultimate price plus tax. And it's the tax that I can't really get behind. You know what I just realized is uh, I think that I, I'm going to make this – I think Sam Raimi's Drag Me to Hell might be – his, him roll, him trying his hand at that, if the Japanese ghost or Japanese curse movie. Um, except it's just the, the rule, where the rules are just fuck you. Uh, you know what? I'm not going to ruin the movie. Um, if you haven't seen Drag Me to Hell, please go watch Drag Me to Hell, but first watch Sweet Home and then watch Drag Me to Hell or possibly, uh, just come back and listen to the rest of this podcast. Don't actually, you don't need to pause it. We're not going to get so heavy into Sweet Home, uh, that you have to pause this and go watch it. I'm good. I'm I've, it's off my chest now. Okay. Well, okay, so Japanese ghost Aside, this that this that is part of this movie's uh like a, the amalgamation of that makes up this movie makes it very entertaining. It's all there. So this is I would say an occur- it's it's definitely a film that can be enjoyed by western audiences and maybe on a deeper level the eastern audiences or specifically the Japanese. There's no question about that, but it holds up to anything any horror movie in the 80s. What, maybe not like when you're talking about effects, it holds up, in my opinion, to almost every other horror movie in the 80s. Um, and the fact that they're in there, like, in the same, like, most, most, uh, foreign films at that time aren't in the same weight class as the Americans when it comes to, like, having the budget to put something like that out. And I feel like this movie really kind of stands up. Yeah, it kind of punches above its weight. It punches above its, above its weight. Absolutely. Okay, so real quick, let's get through uh, just the first act of uh, Sweet Home because I I, I just kind of want to talk, talk you through that. And then we can move on to talking about the video game. But uh, we kind of have to discuss the plot first. Uh, Sweet Home begins with a title sequence that's intercut with what appears to be a blanket uh, with a light behind it and some hands doing shadow puppets from behind. You can hear a child laughing and you can hear... Uh, what sounds like a woman, uh, a mother figure, if you will, making little noises to go along with the uh, the shadow puppet uh, rabbit and uh, rooster and bird, whatever type of of shadow puppet they're doing, um, and the kids responding with laughter, and then it goes from that into your first scene. Now that that is an incredibly important uh opening to the movie because the overall theme of this movie is, in my opinion uh, about mother and child, uh, mother and daughter, mother and child, specifically that it's, it, the whole theme kind of rotates on this, on, on the idea of the relationship between a mother and their child. Would you agree with that? I agree. And that's one thing I really like about it. And, um, that's, it's integral to the plot, but also it's nice and sappy enough to where I think we can all kind of get behind it. We all have, we all have mothers. We all like, uh, most of us have a special connection. With that kind of, or at one point did so, you know, right. So, at the beginning of the movie, the uh, I, I would say your protagonist or the closest thing you have to a protagonist, there's really a couple of characters that fit that mold. But Kazuo, um, the father figure, the father, and also uh, a uh, director of this uh, documentary that's going to be shot, which is the whole reason the whole device that gets him into the house, um, his wife is dead. Um, and his daughter is with him. Her name's Emmy, but so I, you know, her, it's, it's revealed through exposition very early that her mother has passed away and it's been some time since that's happened. So at, you may, that, uh, title sequence at the beginning may or may not be, uh, a flashback or just a reference to her and her mother, bit of foreshadowing, uh, for the major theme of the movie. There's also another bit of foreshadowing. In that uh, shadows are one of the big dangers in the movies. The shadows moving around in the house are actually capable of killing people. Um, Really, it's an extension of a a single ghost. But – without going into too much detail. So it's it's kind of a clever way to begin the movie by both setting up the theme and also letting you know that shadows are going to play an integral part. Maybe I'm reading too much into it, but you know what they say, when you're writing an English paper, write down anything you want because it's all meaningless. That's fair. You know, uh, it doesn't matter that your argument actually hold weight. You simply have to have an argument. Yeah. In fact, if you're listening to this and you're planning on writing an English paper, not, a, not, a, not on any other type of paper. God help you if you take this advice so on any other type of paper where people, you know, where facts and shit matter. But on yeah, an English- thesis. Yeah, a thesis. If you're writing an English paper and you don't have a thesis, what you should do is you should just think of something that you can bullshit. Um, and then you can apply evidence to. And that's just your argument. It doesn't even matter. You don't have to prove it. Your evidence is, it's literally how you're interpreting a work of fiction. I mean, if you think that. The grapes of wrath was 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 you know is is is, is like about how sometimes uh, sometimes family and uh, and I didn't read the grapes of wrath. It's <laughs> not the point. The point is, uh, and we're ju- we'll we'll jump off this in no time because this is but a- uh, my but my English paper on the grapes of wrath did just fine because I followed these simple simple steps. Yeah. Yeah. So. Uh, he's right. Yeah. Doesn't matter what your argument is. Just make an argument. And it doesn't have to be correct because it's your interpretation of a work. And for God's sake, whatever you do, if it's an English paper you're writing, you cannot clearly state the thesis. You must tiptoe around it in prose. And I don't know why that's the rule. Wait, wait. Is Grapes of Wrath the one where the, uh, like the two guys get jobs and the one guy with his, like, uh, his, like, uneducated wrath squeezes women like grapes? And it murders them? Is that what Grapes of Wrath is? That's not, that's not it. All right. Let's shift back on track here. Let's forget about English. Let's forget about Steinbeck. They don't matter because we're talking about a Japanese movie from 1989. And actually, they don't really matter that much because we no longer live in a world where their values are important. How do you fucking like that? Okay. Anyway. anyway. Grandma washing her aluminum foil. It's outdated. Yeah. Steinbeck's down. Let's kick him in the teeth. <laughs> All right. Uh, listen. <laughs> Mo- moving on. Uh, All okay, right, so th- okay, so the the plot of the movie, the general setup. What is happening in the first scene? And this movie does an excellent job of getting you through the first act into the second act so it can just kind of start. But we we can talk about that in a second. Uh what did you get from the uh the beginning of the movie? Or would you like to explain it? No, I think he did a good job. I, all I would say is that it, it is, it's a collection of scenes, almost more than a, a movie in the intro to get, get you into the story. It's, it's a little bit of, uh, quick cutting, sometimes jarringly, not so much as like a Baz Lerman film, but it's, it's like a 15 second scene here, a 30 second se- scene here, no long shots really, um, until they go to ask for a key. So the overall plot is there's a documentary, uh, being made about, a famous artist, uh, Mamiya, uh, I think it's the Ichiro Mamiya, uh, or Mamiya. Um, and Mamiya painted, uh, a bunch of frescoes. And so this documentary crew believes that some of Mamiya's, like, lost frescoes, which is paint on plaster, if you're not familiar with fresco, were um, Italian for refreshing. That's, that's not, that's, I don't think that's accurate. <laughs> I don't think that's accurate at all. <laughs> you, you read that on a glass bottle of, of like Mexican Coke or something, didn't you? Hencho and en Mexico. Oh God. Okay. Well, it's a good thing we aren't doing this in 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 Spain. <laughs> so, uh, but uh, they crucify us. But uh, okay, so they're making a documentary, and so that gives you one your characters with their their roles and why they're late. You know, that's how you can get a team of people there, and you can get all your characters there at the same time. That's the explanation they're going to look for Mamiya's like last uh, uh lost frescoes they believe there's like a fresco in the house somewhere which is reasonable so it's a, you know it's kind of assumed that that he would have painted on his own walls or something like that so they're going to go make a documentary about that and that sets up your one your director um uh, Kazuo and then his daughter who's coming along with him because i get the feeling he's a single father and he just kind of takes her wherever he goes he you know although I guess he could just leave her at home, but he's trying to keep her involved in his life. He's, you know, he's actually kind of charming as a father. Goes. He's a good father. He's a good father. Uh, Amy, who's like, she's the, uh, she's an important part of the, of the, of the story in that, like, um, she gives them a reason to stay in the house at one point without going into further detail. Yeah, she's like the, the kind of like the symbol of of innocence in the movie in a, in a good way of, of like an actual wholesome way. Uh, she's an indeterminate aged school girl that could be 20. Uh, if you're looking at her as an actress, uh, right. she could be 15. She's just, you know, innocent, playful. Right. And you're, you're not sure at the beginning, whether or not it's Amy or Kazuo, that's really going to be your main protagonist. The argument is it's easier to say that it's actually, um, the third and they like trifecta here, which is the producer, um, who appears to kind of have a thing for uh, Kazuo and thinks of Emmy as kind of like a surrogate uh, daughter, but her name is uh, Akiko. Um, I think she, it's easy to make the argument. She's the real um, protagonist, although you don't get that until you're pretty far into the movie where she kind of feels like it's her, her, she's really, it's her story. So you have uh, she's a producer and then you have another uh, woman who's both somehow both a journalist right? But she's like a, she's like a video journalist. She's very much like Hollywood-esque, you know, beautiful, uh, well put together and graceful, very clearly the face of the documentary. Her, and her name is uh, uh, Asuka or Asuka. Um, And she is not just a journalist, but she's also a art restorer. She does restorations, which is how she's Getting into doing, she wants to do a restoration on this fresco that may or may not be there. Um, it seems, it seems like the, listen, it's not that important. This is literally just the plot device that gets them into the, the mansion. Um, and then, of course, the, the last, uh, character that makes up the, uh, the original kind of fivesome, the five characters is, uh, Taguchi, and he's the cameraman, and he's kind of lecherous and a bit of a pervert. So, and he has a thing for, for uh, uh, Asuka but he also kind of hits on Emmy so he's just kind of he's kind of just kind of set up as being kind of a pervert um but a lovable pervert you know the lovable japanese pervert i don't i don't know how far we should go into that yeah uh, well, i think that's a conversation that can't be had on this podcast yeah this is not a, yeah i think if you've watched enough uh japanese uh, media? media i think that that's a conversation you should have with yourself um so yeah like as a as a lowly cameraman he's basically harmless but you know put him in in a position of power and he's he's a weinstein I'll not hey but I didn't say which weinstein okay there we go smart Clint, smart um all right so that's your cast that's your plot they they're gonna go to this mansion they're looking for the lost fresco and in the beginning they need to get a key and so this is actually when I mentioned the shadows playing an interesting part in the in the first scene where kazuo's trying to convince the uh Whatever Whoever the gatekeeper is to get into the mansion, the mayor or some sort of administrator um, to give them the key, there's uh, a lot of shadows uh, uh, playing from, like, the window and the branches moving in high winds outside, playing all over the, the, the set, all over the people. And I think that's a little bit of foreshadowing. It really draws your eyes to the moving shadows because moving shadows, as I say, is going to be a thing later. They manage to finagle the key. They go to the mansion. You get your Sam Raimi esque drive down the uh, down the driveway, and what happens? The key doesn't open the door. The key doesn't open the door. It's it, which which I think is fantastic. The whole point was to go there and get the key so they could get in the door. Key does not work. It's it feels like it, it is a waste of time as as you watching because you know as a. One of the rules in a script, in a book, in a story, is that every scene matters. Every bit of information you convey to, you know, and Quentin Tarantino fun dialogue aside, you know, every every scene has a purpose. Not so much, right? In like a tighter, perfect script, they would have gotten there, and the key would have opened the door, and they would have just gone in. But right. in but in this script, um, that doesn't happen. Uh, they have to break in, which I think is actually—I know it's not perfect, but I kind of love it. I love the fact that they went through all this trouble to get it, convince someone to give them a key that doesn't really help them get in. Yeah, and that's what it feels like. It feels like a, a the humor of the situation uh, less than we wasted your time as a as a movie watcher, right? So then they get into the house and they do find the fr- a fresco. They do start the restoration prog- process and tra- shooting their documentary, and then things develop from there. And I will tell you this. It takes a little while to get to the meat and potatoes. Uh, but on the way, they keep you guessing as to how this whole ghost haunted story is going to present itself. Cause at one point you think it might be possession. Another part you might think, you think it might involve something like a curse. Um, you're just not, you're just kind of guessing. And when it fi- when it finally starts happening, you're like, Oh, wow, this is really happening. Then it feels like it's moving really fast, but it's because you spend all this time building up to it. Um and I'm not saying that in a bad way. I think it's a really good movie plot or pacing-wise. But uh is there any key scenes you'd like to talk about before we move on to the video game because we need to we need to cover the video game. Yeah, no. I th- I think that's it. I don't want to give anything away. I will tell you like there's some really great special effects. There's some really cool deaths. There's some really hard-hitting gruesome um and just kind of like takes the wind out of your deaths too because of some of the characters you actually actually kind of like. Yes. And, yeah, char- and, and, and some of these deaths are done in, in, in kind of like the vein of, of, uh, heroicism. And it just, it's like, damn, that's, that's how you're going to treat them, huh? To, to, to really quick, I want to mention one thing about the tone of the movie and how it can shift is there's literally one part where it's, you've gone through a lot of tension. There's been a few deaths and you've got one character and he's talking, talking about like, uh, how he's going, how, you know, how they, they're trying to think of a plan and how to proceed. And he breaks out into song. That's a thing that happens. So be prepared for that. Uh, there is a part where someone breaks in as a fully accompanied song. Like there's backing, orchestral backing. It's a nicely sung song. Yeah, sung I, it, song too, it's though. not clear whether it's uh, diegetic or non-diegetic, the song diegetic yeah so for you guys who don't don't know that you can be either type one or type two diegetic there's two types of diegetes nope nope i'm oh, sorry die diegesis diegesis is the greek god of music you don't know where it came from nope okay i think coffee is a diegetic stop okay stop. okay i'm sorry that's um okay so that's the movie in In a nutshell it has a it has there's a lot going for it. It has a really compelling, uh, ghost story. I don't want to ruin anything about it, but let's talk about what the game is. Okay. So, uh, so we, we watched the movie together. You don't know a whole lot about the game, do you? I don't know a ton about the game, though. No. Because as we were going to talk about Resident Evil, I, we ended up watching the movie and that spun me off into, um, that spun me off into uh, looking into the game, watching some playthroughs and things of it. I wanted to see what it was and how it played. And I'll tell you what it is. Essentially the game is a top-down RPG. Uh, It is kind of an action RPG, but it's more of a strategy puzzle solving action adventure RPG with some, with, with horror being the overall theme. So there's definitely some horror in there. Um, it was made at the same time as the movie, so it feels like it complements the movie, and the movie complements it. The characters are all the same. Uh, you have the same five characters introduced, Kazuo, Emi, Akiko, Asuka, and Taguchi. Those four, five characters, the the father, the daughter. The and sur- the Holy Ghost. Yes. <laughs> the father, the daughter, the surrogate mother, producer, um, the movie star, It really does have a professor and Marianne. (laughs) I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Uh, But, uh, you know, you have those same characters. So what makes the game interesting is it requires you to split up all five characters into two teams, one team of three and one team of two, whatever combination you want. But because each character has an individual item, it allows you to progress uh, during difficult parts of the game or different parts of the game or allows you to solve certain puzzle elements there's no combination of three uh characters which in that three person team which can do everything which means you have to switch between the three person team and the, the two person team which is amazing it's a, it's an amazing concept and i think it works um and if you're a retro gamer if you're just somebody who loves that type of uh, like japanese rpg the top down the old one that's where like when you fight a monster, it's just a picture of a monster with some effects overlaid. It's not really moving. If you like that type of game, you're, you'll probably really enjoy this one. It's, 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 it looks like it might be a bit of a slog for nowadays because, I don't know, we've progressed so far with not just graphics but with even puzzle elements in games. But for the time, it was groundbreaking, um, and, so, and it's a very important game. But what I would like to say about the game— Did uh, we get it in the U.S.? Uh, no. So how important could it be? I'm just kidding. <laughs> no, okay. So what we've mentioned is it is is of course I uh, I stumbled onto the the movie and the game that came out together, Sweet Home, while doing research on Resident Evil. And the way that came about is that uh, the director of Sweet Home, a man by, named uh, Tokuro Fujiwara, is actually the creator of. Uh, Resident Evil. And by director, you mean the director of the game, not the director of yeah, the movie? Yeah, not the director of the movie. So you can say, without Sweet Home, there would be no Resident Evil. And without Resident Evil, I won't say that there wouldn't be survival horror. But I will say that survival horror would probably have looked a lot different. Um, or, you know, it would have, it would have manifested in a much different way in video games. Yeah. It's, it's, it's like one of those things where, uh, if you take away Resident Evil, it could take, a, I think we'd, we'd have survival horror the same way, but I think it'd take a, a bit longer to get there. It's, yeah. I, I'll tell, well, I'll tell you, there's some things that, uh, okay. There are people out there who think that Sweet Home, a lot of people will make very broad comments like, well, you have, Uh, a mansion and you have monsters and you have, um, people trying to get out and they're, they have to use items and they're, they're, they're fighting these monsters and they're, they're trying to protect each other. And you have, Hey, look, Resident Evil, those are all true to a point. Um, but, but the reality of the situation is that Resident Evil's, uh, DNA is partially from Sweet Home but also partially from alone in the dark. And so here's kind of how that story developed and why that's the case. They wanted to take the action or the RPG type elements of, of sweet home. They wanted to take the elements of using the items and being cooperative and all that. And they wanted to put it in a 3d, um, first person game. So you would be going through the mansion fighting zombies from a PO first person POV, um, or the monsters from first person POV and you'd be solving puzzles and you'd have, there'd be a cooperative element in the game with you and, and a, and switching between characters or just a secondary character. Okay. But listen, it didn't pan out like that. Instead, because of the limit, limitations of the PlayStation, they had to use the pre-rendered backgrounds that they, the same type of pre-rendered backgrounds that they did from Alone in the Dark, which means you get a lot of that feel of Alone in the Dark where you go around a corner, then it's at a different camera angle. You go around a corner, different camera angle. Um, and to be fair, Resident Evil made that limitation work in a way that Alone in the Dark just couldn't. Alone in the Dark's too colorful uh, to be scary. It's just, uh, and this is, by the way, this is straight from uh, the, the the mouth of uh, the uh, director Shinji Mikami. Because uh, a lot of the information I have is based on an interview with... Uh, Uh, is based on a source from an interview with him. But so it starts off as a first-person video game, and because of the limitations, they kind of have to model it after Alone in the Dark and use these pre-rendered backgrounds. So now they're doing third-person. They start taking more inspiration from from Sweet Home and from Alone in the Dark. So Sweet Home, when you go through a door, you have the screen where the door opens up. Now in Sweet Home, that's just something that happens, but in, uh, in uh, Resident Evil, they use that very same thing to mask the loading screen. They're making the limitations kind of work for them, and they're, they're taking more things that they're already familiar with. They, they already did little things like this when they did Sweet Home. So some of it's very much like we're doing this as kind of a— it's going to be a Sweet Home game. That did happen. It was originally supposed to be an updated type Sweet Home game, kind of like a remake— but it quickly turned into its own thing and more took inspiration from Sweet Home. And then it had to take inspiration from Alone in the Dark because of the limitations. And so when you say that Resident Evil, the game, is just Sweet Home, that is a complete misunderstanding of the the developing nature of the game Resident Evil. And it's also a kind of a misunderstanding of what type of game uh, Sweet Home was because Sweet Home is not a, really a survival horror game. It is you are trying to survive but uh, there's permadeath, that's a thing, but listen, it's an RPG. I mean, in the way that, you know, it's monsters, oh, it's fighting monsters, you're fighting monsters in Resident Evil, you're fighting monsters in Sweet Home. Listen, you're fighting monsters in Zelda. You're fighting monsters in Final Fantasy games. You're fighting fighting monsters in all the old JRPGs. So, it's weird to say that that is the big like trans translation into resident evil it just isn't now there is a legitimate argument to f- you can find the influence of sweet home throughout the entire resident evil franchise if you really look for it i I've- i realized at this point at this point you have to understand kurt has no idea where any of this is going at this point i've just gone off on the ultimate tangent i feel like i should let you say something otherwise it's just going to be me talking uh what do you think i'm going to say I think you're going to say, if I had to hazard a guess, Mm -hmm. I would say that you're saying that Resident Evil is not only based partly on um, Sweet Home, and not only is it partly based on Alone in the Dark, but it's also based off of To Kill a Mockingbird by Harper Lee. And the (laughs) fact that Tyrant is really Boo Radley and much misunderstood. Uh, um, Okay, no, that's not where we're going. It's not at all where we're going with this. Um. Okay, so if you want to find the DNA from Sweet Home, all you have to do is look at the cooperative play elements in Resident Evil 2, Resident Evil 4, um, Leon games, right, where you have to switch between multiple characters. Uh, so in Resident Evil 4, there's many parts where you have to switch between Leon and the president's daughter. Uh, it's Ashley, right? Uh, president's daughter, in order to accomplish something uh like to solve a puzzle or to get to the next area. That's obviously in the DNA from, yeah. from Sweetheart. And that's, that's everybody's favorite part of that game is what I'll tell you. It's yeah. They they, they yeah. love babysitting the president's daughter. Um, <laughs> they don't like the shooting. They don't like, can we just talk about how resident Four's jumping, uh, off point is, uh, is, is escape from New York. Yeah, it is. It is. Okay. The uh, best part of that is what are you buying? What are you selling? That guy, that guy is pretty great. Uh, I know I'm just now I was thinking all of a sudden, what if, why hasn't John Carpenter sued Capcom? Another element beyond the cooperative uh, play you might find is so like the items being, uh, being like each character has its own, their own item in um, Sweet Home. And uh, one of the main, one of the items is Emmy, the daughter has a key. Which ironically is not, is completely useless in the movie, but is very important in the video game because you need it to open doors that are locked. Well, Jill Valentine's lockpicking item, which is necessary to, necessary to get into certain areas at different times. Yeah, but is it? I mean, Chris can still beat the game. I he, mean, so necessary. Yeah, but listen, they gave her a lockpick and a, and a, and a, and they gave her a handgun. Yeah, he gets a knife. He's, he gets a knife and he's got to find keys. That's true. I mean, obviously the puzzle solving, use this item here element, all that, that's still very much from Sweet Home. And then later in Resident Evil 7, you get your POV, you get your first person immersion, you get that in Final Fantasy 7. So there's plenty, plenty of things that you can say that, that goes all the way back to Sweet Home and through the whole franchise. That's you can you can make that point, but you can't say that Resident Evil is just Sweet Home. That's a weird argument that I've seen so many times. Here's the problem: is I think you can say it because watch, Resident Evil is just Sweet Home. I just said it, and I am still here. <laughs> you son of a bitch. Uh, yeah, it wasn't not really, but listen, here's what I'm saying: uh, Sweet Home, 1989. Watch that. If you like retro games, play the video game. Right. Uh, don't make the argument that Sweet Home is, Resident Evil is just Sweet Home, the remake of Sweet Home. It isn't. It's, it's very much its own game. But, uh, yeah, that's That's it. Yeah, I agree. Uh, watch Sweet Home. Play the game if you're into that sort of thing. And for God's sake, heaven help you if you have a different opinion, because I swear. <laughs> <laughs> what? No, so, so you're talking about me, aren't you? Nah. All right. I think that about wraps it up. Yep. Uh So once again, we're going to leave you guys. Uh I'm going to try to figure out where the half burnt mattress is and uh, dispose of that before someone comes into the castle and thinks we murdered a child or something.